very humbly, I felt betrayed by, because there are moments when I lived in Texas where I was that my dad was like, you can always come home and visit, but you don't, don't retreat. You know, you can always like, don't retreat. So there are times where I was at my kitchen table and I was crying because I'm, I'm only one of only few black men in the room. What am I doing here? Like that, it was different than being like, hey, I went to school. I got my degree. Speaking of like, I'm a nice guy. I've not been to, to prison. Welcome to the Smartest Podcast, a show that is dedicated to helping you achieve success. I'm your host, John Colderize Lawson, entrepreneur and best-selling author. In this episode, you will hear from one of the most successful people in the world. So get ready to improve yourself by learning from those who have already found success. Yo guys, what's up? This is your boy, John. Another episode, another great mind. So today we got Stan Pearson. What is that, Junior? Are you the second? I'm the second. Wow. Junior. Awesome. All right, so tell people who you are and why we should listen to you. Uh, no, honestly, I'm big into the truth. So uh, I want to let you all know that um, I'm a big deal. I'm one of the best at what I do <laughs> from a speaking standpoint and like a celebrity speaker, mindset mentor, and just really helping people, you know, be uh, understand that they're good, they're great, they're worth it. And I do that through methods of obviously um, salsa dancing to mindset work to marketing and media training. Wow. So how did you get started in all that yeah you know it's interesting nothing really seemed like a straight line until it is i worked for you know i've always liked people and being around them and talking probably too much from time to time but the the long short of it is i worked for a university for a number of years uh, when i was uh earning my my mba while i was doing that i was in a place where i had never heard of before i was actually in laredo texas which is southwest texas I was there, I had no friends, but I, I liked music. And uh, I part of me going there is my undergraduate degree is in Spanish, like Latin American literature, culture. So I, I figured a good way to make friends would just be to, to go out. And I found a place that played Latin music and salsa music. And I got, I was starting to be decent, not very good. And when I got, when I, as I got better, I realized that I didn't have to be the best. I just needed to be better than the folks that wanted to learn something. And so, so people started saying, hey, would you mind? Could you teach me how to? And that was kind of the beginning of me owning my own Latin dance studio in Laredo, Texas. I want to say it was 98% Latino, Hispanic speaking. I tell people, Spanish speaking, I tell people it's a place where you could be more comfortable if you only spoke Spanish and if you only spoke English. And when I left there, I still, I missed having the studio. I missed salsa dancing and I wanted to find a way to turn it into a professional development or leadership program. And that's how I kind of gave birth to the salsa leadership or what I call salsa therapy. So it stands for supporting, acting, learning, striving, and accepting. And it just gave me another way to help build community and teach leadership. And I just kind of make that a part of just about every presentation I do in some way, shape or form. And that's how it all kind of comes together. So I like to, you know, make sure I engage, educate and entertain 
in every piece of of what I do. So that's what brought all that together and what brings me you know here now and now, you know, 20 plus years later, I'm uh, happy to say I'm still here. So when'd you get rid of the salsa school? You know, oh, because I, I left, I ended up leaving Laredo and that was, <laughs> it was, it was heartbreaking. It's interesting because it's a little, uh, it's a, a couple hundred thousand people. And I really, I loved, I, lo- I met some amazing friends there. But when I finished my, my MBA, it was like, okay, I don't know if this is my forever home, if I'll be here forever. And I got hired, I got hired by a consulting firm. They were based out of Atlanta. So it was like, okay, now it's time to go. And it was so fast. I, I, I was telling, I put uh, a relative's Atlanta address on my resume. And when I got called for an interview, they're like, hey, can you come in on Friday? It was like a Wednesday. I'm like, yeah, of course I can. Boom, I'm back. And then I came back and I got, I got hired and they asked me if I could be there, you know, if I could start on like Monday, just like a Wednesday. And it was like, all of a sudden I was gone. I left my house there, still fully furnished, drove to Atlanta, closed the studio. It was, everything happened so fast. But yeah, that's, <laughs> that was a kind of a, the end of an era. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's so you've been in Atlanta ever since, I guess. Yes, yeah, since about two, since two, the end of 2008, I did, uh, I lived a, a year and some change in Los Angeles uh, in that time and a couple other places, but ultimately Atlanta's been home since then. All right, you have the school. You uh, come up with, well, were you actually speaking and teaching at the school or? Okay, so yeah. I mean, you were teaching the dance, but were you doing anything else like the holistic life thing? Yeah, so at the, at the university, I was the associate director of student activities. Okay. So okay. Advising clubs and organizations. Uh, taking them to leadership conferences, which, you know, helped me career wise as I started to grow. But then outside of that, it was, you know, at the studio, I always had some element of mindfulness or mindset and community while I was teaching. So I was like also the lead instructor there, but I had other instructors that were teaching, you know, different styles of dance there too. Mm, Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So now you get to Atlanta, you got your new job. Oh yeah. Did you still do stuff in the teaching or were you doing that on your job? You know, very little, you know, I worked, it was a process improvement company, so a process improvement consulting firm. Uh, uh, there was a lot of travel. It was not at all. It's uh, the, the pitch from them, obviously in interviewing, it was really exciting. It paid me more at the time than I had ever been paid. I was going to be on planes all the time and and there's always fine print. <laughs> there's always <laughs> fine print, which is my experience. So I really went through a really a difficult time working for the consulting firm. You know, everyone wasn't nice or respectful. There are a lot of egos in consulting. You know, there's always positioning. There's, you know, kind of virtual or, you know, uh, metaphorical elbows. And you don't know there's so, there's so much bureaucracy and politics also involved outside of just doing your job. Uh, and those are things as a young man that I, you know, I was always taught that, hey, you know, you work hard, you know, there are people out there, but you know, you work hard, just put your, put. and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like, wait a minute, this, but I'm a nice dude. But uh, so during that time, I want to say it's probably one of the top three most difficult experiences I had because I also ended up getting laid off unexpectedly. 
I was, you know, wanting, I still wanted to speak. I was like, hey, I'm getting paid $60,000 a year right now. I'm traveling. My friends think I'm cool. Uh, and then I got laid off with uh, two other friends unexpectedly and told that I'd only get two weeks severance. Uh, and I'd only get that if I didn't file a grievance. And I was really proud. And so I filed a grievance, did not huh. get two weeks. <laughs> said, All right, it makes worse off behind. Oh my gosh. And that led like to somewhat of a downward spiral because I was you know, kind of living in and out of my car a little bit. My I was always traveling a lot. So my friends knew I'd be gone a lot, but I was kind of just, you know, couch surfing a little bit when I wasn't supposed to be traveling. It was, it was. How rough. old were you? I was uh, 27. Oh. I was 27, 28 when that was going on. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I think that's kind of good because. Uh, or just good to explore and hear your story there, you know, and, and we're going to get out of how you got out of that, but sitting in that a little bit, you know, because I think a lot of young people don't understand that you might go through some crazy hellish twenties at a, for a period, but it's just a period, you know, I mean, how did you get yourself out? How did I mean, couch surfing is a nice way to say you were homeless for a minute. Yeah, man. Whew. Yeah, I, mean, I know. It's bringing back some of the memories. I know. Yeah. I know. That's so bizarre, man. Why'd you do this? I I, I don't sit in that very long. Right. I don't. I try not to think about it often. It was, I, I weighs this war on the word humble. And we could talk about that later. But I, it was, uh. It's very humbling. I felt betrayed by because there are moments when I lived in Texas where I was that my dad was like, you can always come home and visit, but you don't don't retreat. You know, you can always like don't retreat. So there are times where I was at my kitchen table and I was crying because I'm I'm only one of only few black men in the what am I doing here? Like that it was different than being like, hey, I went to school, I got my degree. Speaking of like, I'm a nice guy. I've not been to, to prison and I'm laid off. I'm lying to my friends. I'm not telling my family what happened to me. Like, uh, so it, I think I definitely went through the woe is me, which I think everyone does. It's some, you know, grieving process of, you know, my ego being torched. And uh, I had ultimately, you know, when I was comfortable enough to share more, you know, with friends and family, you know, family that you know, help me. Like, why didn't you talk to us sooner? Why, you know, it's not, there are people that are always there for you. You just have to trust in them. And I started getting more active again, you know, instead of reclusing to, and again, believing in me again, and wanting me to be, I like being around people and I got away from all the things I really enjoyed. So part of what helped me was getting back to the basics. And oddly enough, it takes me back to I talk about, you know, salsa dancing. It's like, everything has this basic level, like mm. being around people, saying hello, you know, and like doing things that you enjoy. Is it dancing? Is it meeting? So that's what really brought me out of, I mean, a really interesting. Yeah, it, it was really, really difficult. Uh, because too, I, during that time, there were people that I thought were decent friends, but they could have been better friends for who I had been to them and what I was going through. And it, so it was, you know, kind of weaving, you know, through all that stuff. And that's how I got out, you know, was knowing that people 
really loved me. My family really, they believed in me and that it was okay. That it was- That you, you, yeah, that you had a setback. Yeah, that setbacks are okay. And that everybody- Yeah, that that they're okay. And I think, and it was probably one of the first times I, because I asked him a couple different times, my dad, if he had ever been afraid. And as an adult, it was the first time that I'd asked and he said, of, of course, but I went my whole life feeling like, right, right, right. You no, know, you, you understand, you know, so yeah, I mean, they're on a pedestal, your parents and your dad, I get, yes. It's like, oh, you can, being afraid is okay. Ter- you can be terrified and it, and things are still going to turn out. Oh, like it was, uh, yeah, it created just a resurgence, revitalization, and then just kind of, you know, climbing your way out through toxic relationships, being a toxic person to some degree, like fighting all those things that, you know, keep one down. It was, uh, yeah, it was, man, I literally. <laughs> yeah, don't, I feel you, man. Yeah, I definitely you. feel you because, you know, honestly, I, I don't go there, you know, but there was a, you know, maybe a two year period. It's funny. I just had a friend. I'm on, I'm on this show. I do these, this show every, you know, live on Fridays. Right. And I'm in there and we do the chat and somebody on the chat says, you know, my old DJ name, which is like, I was Jazzy J and I was like, Hey, Jazzy J. And I'm looking and it says Charlie. And I'm trying to figure out who the fuck knows (laughs) me as Jazzy J and Charlie. And I can only think of one person that maybe it was so weird. Right. Yes. This person is from this time of struggle in my 20s, you know? And we had fallen out of touch. And so anyway, long story short, I get back, I get done with the show, I get on the phone with him. I'm like, Charlie, he's like, oh man, it's so great to connect. We haven't talked to each other in like 25, 30 years, right? And um, I had that feeling you're having right now of, wow, there's this, period in my life that I don't sit in emotionally at all you know and it's like as soon as he reminded me of the time my car got stolen and I was couch surfing you know and he was there in my life during that time and it was like oh wow and but you're right those emotions it's like they come back at you in a way that you're like shit I thought I dealt with this <laughs> yeah yeah Yes, a million percent. One million percent. <laughs> so okay, cool. So you get yourself, you know, back on track. You start, you know, um, I love that too. I think one of the things you 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 mentioned was that you know we we when we have these times, we go so inner that we almost block out all the things around me um, and all the areas that could help us, all the people that could support us. We sort of go internal and, you know, we go underground. And that's kind of one of the worst things because it perpetuates this feeling of loneliness and nobody understands and, and guilt and shame, all of that. It, it grows inside of that closet. So I like what you said about, you know, you start getting back out. And literally me and you had a meeting just the other day in person. And for me, that was me getting back out. I was like, you know what? I've been in too long from COVID. 
You know, the things that we used to do, just let's go have coffee kind of vibe, I wasn't doing, you know, and it can really wear on you as a um, a person. So Holy. you get back out, you start getting back on your feet, and now you've got, you know, uh, how did you get into speaking? I mean, again. Yeah, because it was, uh, you know, it was like a rubber meets the road. Because there, there are times where I literally probably watch 20 hours of TV a day. I would take a break to go eat, I come back, I sit on the couch, but like it was literally, and, and then when I go back, I don't think about it like I was in bad shape. Like I know what I felt, but looking back, it's like, oh, it's not that bad. I'm just whatever, but- uh, Depressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, not to the degree that, you know, clinical depression, but this is depressing behavior. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I've ever like just said that like I just did and then having someone on the other it's funny my wife's like maybe you should visit some of those just so you know that you've in I've told other people they should but just this moment but like you mentioned like wait a minute I was probably in front of the TV 20 hours a day and then I just ate and came back I didn't do anything I didn't really talk to him uh but you know as I came out of that I think what you know when you uh are, are just grasping and and pulling you there are relationships that you, as you want to get out more, you're just kind of seeking connection for whatever, whatever that looks like. But that could, if we're not clear, that could again result in devastation, toxic relationships, and so forth. And I, I feel like there was a little bit of that as you know, you you meet good people, but you're like, nah, I'm good on good people. Let me, you know, we don't do what's what's best for us. But during wow. that time, it's like, hey, I. What I did know is I, I always wanted to be a professional speaker. Like I always wanted that to be an element of what I did. And then it was like, well, okay, now you have the time. Hmm. Now there's time, Stan. Who did that to you? What's that? Being a professional speaker, who did you see? Who inspired that or, or who are some of the people that really, <laughs> can you think back and say, that inspired me? A million percent. You know, it's funny. I didn't, I didn't even consider this until my my dad worked for uh, UPS for years, and did a lot of trainings for UPS HR, and which I sat in on from time to time when I would go to work with him. But that never dawned on me that that was in my psyche. But in six in elementary mm. school, we like my parents would be listening to. Uh, I'd listen to you know, Les Brown a little, but mostly Zig, Zig Ziglar from the time I was in elementary school. Oh my, oh yeah. my God. Yeah. He, even, he, he had, is he, my guy. He's, I consider him my, my Michael Jordan of speaking. <laughs> Bro, that, me too. If yeah. anybody ever asked me who was the one, it was Zig, man, that guy was no, amazing. Yeah, it, and it was he had jingles. I don't know if you know, like I always, whenever I'm no. home, he had jingles like they're on cassette, obviously at the time, but they were like, you know, get that stinking thinking out of here like that, or don't boil a bullfrog. Like there, there are all these jingles that I was listening to from like elementary school. Oh my God. All the way up. Yeah, they were, they were brilliant. I have not been able to find them. I know they're in cassette somewhere around the house in my, my parents' place, but that is the, like the person, obviously my folks, and then Zig, I just felt like the way he spoke, told stories, connected with audiences, it was special. It was it was really special. And I'm a kid. Yeah. And yeah. I'm 
So uh, I'll also say that doesn't necessarily make you what, you know, the cool kid. So in elementary, junior high and high school, when kids knew who the latest rap guy was or hip hop, like I really didn't know who people were by name. I know beats, but I know Zig, you know, I know like I, I could dance. I was talented, but that stuff really wasn't important to me, you know, you know, coming up. But Zig Ziglar, hands, hands down, hands down. If we're talking about folks, someone that people would know, Zig Ziglar. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur because one time I heard Zig Ziglar say that the best tax shelter is a small business. And I was like, really? Hmm. And literally that I always hold on and I'll hold fast. And of course, his ultimate, you know, life lesson or thing that he would always say, if you'd help enough people get what they want, you'll have everything you want. Those two things. But Zig was just, you're right. You know, I used to go, it's funny you say they're on cassette tapes. So, you know, I used to go to the library and I had no idea that you could go to this section and get these big things that people would pay hundreds of dollars for, for the cassette yeah. series of 20 cassettes, and you could listen to it. And I used to rent those all the time or borrow those, mm. whatever you do, but the library would be interesting. That's so cool. Look, again, Zig Zig. Also, Zig, like you go to the well, like pushing the well. He had the well. I tell people, like, he had the well on stage and yes. go and pump it, take the time. Anyway, my, my parents, they were in Amway years, okay. years okay. ago. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, so as they got some of that on them when they were younger, it just kind of grew and then they started bringing tapes. And that's what we would listen to when we got ready in the morning. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> school in the morning. All right. Good parenting. There you go. I'm going to start playing those around the house so the kids can listen. <laughs> okay. It might actually work one day. Very I swear. good. I swear. Very good. All right. So now you're going to start your own business. What's the first business you start? I mean, after all of this, what's the what? Yeah, because yeah, Sauce Ends was technically first. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, that was technically. It was, you know, speaking and the first time. Uh, so the first person, the first place I got booked to speak in in 2009 was a school. It was a Shriner University. So the first school that ever paid me was now it's. Uh, University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley, but it was University of Texas Pan American. But there was a school uh, called Shriner University, private school in San Antonio, that knew me from when I worked at the university, when I worked at a, a college. Hmm. And I would just go to these, you know, booking conferences, and they remembered me, booked me for two that February of two thousand and nine, like starting, like after I got laid off, like that was kind of brewing, and then I got a call. To see well, about what, what, I mean, what made you go to the booking conferences or how did you find out about this avenue? What was yeah, thank you. What was that? So when I was when I was uh, associate director of student activities and I was running again the whole okay. studio and then uh -huh. work yeah, uh on my MBA, I was taking students to leadership conferences and booking conferences where we would find talent to come back to the school. So that we would go there and book and I again would see people like, you know, I can do that. Like I'm pretty, I'm doing this stuff for the school. Like I can do that. And so then it was like, hey, I know of at least one place that could could help me. So towards the end of my time at the university, when I went, I did what they call I showcased. At the time, 
I didn't think anybody liked me <laughs> because it's a place where there are decision makers that are there. They tell you at the end mm -hmm. if they're interested in booking you. Okay. So it's sort of like a shark tank. Oh, for sure. A million percent. Yeah, yeah. Much more, a lot more people around. It can be very humbling when they go, hey, Stan Pearson, anybody interested? And no one raises their hand. It's tough. It's tough. It's something that you can't be prepared for. But in full context, it's different for speakers than it is comedians and spoken word artists. Because sometimes people have comedy night every week. People have special events for speakers. So it, it's if you don't know that, you it'll mess you up to go in there uh, and feel that way. So that happened before the layout, before all that other stuff. And now like fast forward like a year, mm -hmm. they asked to book me. And it was then when I was like, okay, someone is willing to pay me. Hmm. Okay, let me just take what they pay me. I want to say the first, their check was 2,800. Like, okay, now I got to take that. I've got to put it back, you know, where I can do this over and over and over again. And that was the beginning. So my first business was, you know, my speaking business, Breathe Diversity is what it's, it's still called to this day as I kind of grow. But I felt like there are two things in life you can't live without, that's breathing and diversity. So I put them together. And uh, that was <laughs> that was the beginning then and just kind of moved there. And I in which I tell folks, like, use what you have. So my first really popular program was what I call the salsa life. First, it was called like no chips with this salsa. But then wow. it was like the salsa life where they just kind of learn salsa and leadership principles, which kind of taught them confidence and community because it's what I had. Like, it's what I knew. And then right. some other diversity stuff along the way kind of helped uh, help me stay afloat. It helped wow. me save my life. <laughs> wow. Wow. So, okay. Fast forward to today. Where are you? What do you, what do you do? How, how, how many places have you spoke? Whoa, thank you. Uh, so I tell people I'm on my second million. So a million minds served, if you will. Uh, and every, I want to say 46 states uh, that I've spoken in, you know, Mexico, also Mexico, Spain, the British Virgin Islands, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, spoken in those places. And now, I, you know, it's one of two things because I feel like I have a respons responsibility in some ways, you know, to give back in my way. Mm -hmm. and, and part of that is, number one, creating, co-founding an association that helps, you know, market and promote black and brown speakers. Like, mm -hmm. anybody's welcome, but... I know how difficult it is to be a black speaker and to be popular outside of the month of February. It's important. Mm. Like, you, I no, so, so black speaker, you can get a job in February. <laughs> yes, you can. Yes. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Marketing dollars go lower. So but it's like, what about, That's those, hilarious. what about those other 11 months that, you know, <laughs> what about those? So, so that, and then just being, you know, the, because I really, uh, you know, I love, you know, coaching and helping speakers, but I love speaking. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So just to be the ultimate best, I tell people I'm their favorite speaker's favorite speaker. And, and I'm the goat at what I do, the way that I do it. Yes. I'm, I'm really good at that. And uh, that that's what I want people to know. And so part of my mission is I do that outside of the association. Uh-huh. And what's the association? The National Association of Masterminds and Co-Curricular Advancement. All right. So, How do I find that? So you go to namcoweb.com. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I was about to say, I hope you shorten that. Hell, you didn't Nam it. No, that's really salsa. long. <laughs> <laughs> no, right, salsa, and then like, oh, yeah, there's too many of you. 
namcoweb.com. <laughs> awesome. N is in Nancy, A M is in Mom, C A. <laughs> all right, all right, fantastic, fantastic. And I know you've got, you know, I don't want to date necessarily this specific, yeah. uh, you know, uh, conversation, but I will a little bit because I do want you to talk about what you have coming up later this year, even yeah. here, you know, and probably years to come. Yes. So every, you know, what we're working on is at least at the end of the year, we do what we call a mastermind in a mansion. And this particular year is special in December because we're also going to have folks in a professional studio, like a professional studio. A lot of the problem is, and I believe more people need to know you, like whoever you are, that promotion, that raise, that next speaking engagement or coaching client, on the other end of that is more people need to know you. And a lot of people come to the table and it's like, oh, great, you want to do this? Do you have any pictures or video? Ah, you could have a great story, but if you don't have those things, what's going to get you to the credibility piece? Because mm -hmm. most times people say no, like, and trust, but people buy from people they know and trust. They don't even have to like them. So part of our mission is going, hey, if you show up here, huh. we're going to get you everything you need. So when you leave here, you look like a big deal. And that is a part of what we're, our mastermind and mansion is. And our NAMCA mastermind is really preparing speakers, like giving them a turnkey experience. You know, they're, they're instant speaker, but they also get that with training in context while also plot twist, meeting people who have the ability to pay them, which is really special. Mm. Anyone that's, Whoa. yeah. So if people have paid us, you know, my business partner and I, Odell, co-founder of NAMCA, if they paid us, then we put them in a room with you. Help them. We had actually had a call recently. We have calls monthly with people who book speakers and it's Q&A. So they kind of figure out and get kind of, you know, the, the pulse of what's happening in the market to help them be successful. Because my what's most important for me is that people around me are good. It's like any industry almost. It's like, yo, I'm only good if, if everyone else is good. Right. People start looking right. at speakers, oh, they're boring or they're, they don't offer anything. They just yell at you the whole time. That's bad business for me. I need folks who are if they're under my umbrella or they're connected, that they're solid also so that we can all win together. Hmm. Awesome, awesome stuff. All right, last question, all right? Yeah. Yes, you've made it. You've made it. <laughs> this is great, man. Golly, you got me earlier. So, um, uh, what's one question that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Mm. What's one question that you should have asked me that you didn't? You really asked me some amazing questions. How can, let me see. How can you help more? How can you help me get more people to know me? Is that a good question? Oh, okay. That's cool. So if I ask that to you, how can you help me get more people to know me so that they know, like, trust kind of vibe? How can you help me with that? Yeah, just, you know, I think on, on both ends, it's, uh, you know, as I call one of the laws of human currency, reciprocity. You know, now that there's been a, an amazing experience, like everybody who knows me, will now know you. And hopefully on the flip side, now everybody who knows you will now know me. And that's really how we win. 
you know, it's really how we win, like a, a true abundant state of mind so we can all be more, do more and have more. Fantastic. Hey, that your shirt? Yes, it is. It yeah. is. Right. Goatactivitygear.com. Goatactivitygear.com. All right. Look <laughs> at him. True entrepreneur all the way around. Can't help Stan, it. Stan, it was awesome talking to you, brother. I appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man, and I appreciate your story. So thank you so much for sharing with us. All right? And if thank people you. want to catch up with you, tell them where to get you. Cool. Obviously, you can go to stanpearson.com. If you're on Instagram, everywhere else is Stan Pearson II, as in Stan Pearson II, S-T-A-N-P-E-A-R-S-O-N II. So I appreciate y'all. See y'all on the other side of the screen or in person. Awesome. Hang out. Guys, that is it for today. Hopefully you got something. I know you did. I ain't even worried about because I only talk to brilliant people. All right, we out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Smartest Podcast. I hope you found that conversation helpful and inspiring. So be sure to subscribe and do not miss any future episodes. Until next time, enjoy your journey of success. Thanks for listening.